Well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome, 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 awesome. Well, you're in for a treat today. Uh, uh, today's, uh, we're still working through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And today we've gotten to the passage where he says, do not judge. And uh, so I decided to put this, this ocean tidal wave because this is often how it feels uh, when you're being judged by somebody that you're getting swept up under a current. Um, but we're going to talk about what it means. Uh, we're going to talk about what did Jesus mean when he said it? What does it mean? How can you live it out? Uh, because we've got to make sure that we understand, we understand it right in order to be able to live it. And you can't live it if you don't understand truthfully what it's saying. So today's passage is going to be in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, if you have your Bibles and want to turn there. Let's open up in prayer. Father, we love you, and Father, we thank you for your love. Father, I pray that during this hour that you would, you would open our minds and soften our hearts to receive your word, to accept your word, and to apply it to our lives in a way that we live it out, that we would not just, not just listen to your word or understand your word, but that we would actually live your word. And so, Father, we need you, your Holy Spirit to help us do that. We love you, Father. In Jesus' holy and precious and eternal name we pray. Amen. So let's jump right in and let's read, read the passage. Verses, chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Jesus says, Do not judge so that you won't be judged. For you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite. First take the beam of wood out of your eye and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs or they will trample them under their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. So first things first. Judging, the word judging, can have different meanings. And so we need to address that before we get into this topic. So when we say judge, or in this context, do not judge, the first meaning that would normally come to your mind is to make a judgment about somebody else, and especially in reference to how they're living their life. Okay, That's our first thought, to judge, meaning to make a judgment, make a decision about somebody else to say I approve I disapprove I like I don't like but in other words it's to draw a decision to make a decision and normally when we say do not judge we're inferring the negative decision in other words to say I disapprove or I dislike it's not just a judgment period it's a negative judgment is typically what we mean by judge now judge doesn't have to mean make a judgment to mean make a decision judge in the scriptures also has the idea of to discipline someone so it's not just i'm making a decision about whether i approve or disapprove it's in the sense of to judge to bring judgment on someone is to bring discipline on them to bring consequences on them and so what we see and i'm gonna jump real quick jesus starts off by saying do not judge 
And so what we'll do is we'll form a theology, we'll form a framework of what that means, and we'll say, typically, what that means is, I can't say that what you're doing is wrong. I definitely can't tell you what you're doing is wrong, because that's what it means, do not judge. But then, in this teaching, Jesus says, hypocrites. So there seems to be a contradiction there. If Jesus says, don't judge, and then while he's teaching about not judging, he calls somebody a hypocrite. Look at what you're doing. He judged them. Did he not? Or at least in that context. So whenever you come across Scripture, and it doesn't matter if it's this topic or any topic, whenever you come across Scripture in which you read one thing and you immediately take away from it, this is what I think it means, and then you come across something that seems to say the exact opposite or do the exact opposite, you tend to have a conflict. You believe there's a contradiction. Whenever you believe you've come across a contradiction in Scripture, it's important that you study hard, not just ponder hard, but study the Word hard and come to f- try to figure out how is it that it's not a contradiction? How is it that it's both can be true? Um, so Jesus, Jesus makes a judgment. He makes a judgment about people. He said, you're going around judging people for doing something when you yourself have far greater sins than you're judging them for. So when he says you're trying to take the splinter out of your brother's eye when you have a beam coming out of your own eye, in essence what he's saying is you're, you're telling other people to turn from small sins when you are yourself are committing big sins. And so what Jesus just did is he made a judgment about them. He judged them. And you can say, well, God can do that. He's telling us we can't. God can judge people. We just can't judge people. Okay, well, let's stick with that for a minute and let's run through the scriptures and let's just see if we can figure out how can we navigate this framework. Because I don't want to say don't judge and then go around and judge. Or I don't want to tell you you should not judge, but by the way, I need you to go out and judge. Like that, would, that just doesn't make sense. So we got to figure out what is he saying here? What does this mean? So real quick, judge can have different meanings. Um, one is the idea of discipline. If we look here, First uh, Corinthians chapter eleven, twenty-seven to thirty-four, we see the Corinthian church are participating in the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. They're being, they're, they're getting drunk. They're not sharing their food with other people. They're just not acting like Christians at all. They're not loving on their brothers and sisters, and they're saying they're participating in the Lord's Supper. They're not. So this is what Paul condemns him for. He says, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself in this way. Let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. So he's saying, you should examine yourselves. Then he goes on to say, For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So here we see the word judgment being used as discipline, a form of discipline. He says, this is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. If we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. Here is one verse in the New Testament that uses judge in two different ways. If we were properly examining ourselves, we would not be disciplined by God. So here you see two concepts of judge in one verse, to 
make a decision about what we're doing is right or wrong, to make a decision about, decide if something's right or wrong, and then to be disciplined to have consequences. That's two different forms of judging. And we get that from the context because he just said to examine ourselves, and then he goes on to talk about how God, we are being judged by God in this matter. He said, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined. So there's that, there's that version. The first one, he said we should be examining ourselves to decide if what we're doing is right or wrong. That's judging in making a judgment about whether something's right or wrong. And then here, the Lord is judging us because we are judged by the Lord. We are disciplined by the Lord. So judgment as discipline. So that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, when you eat, come together to eat, welcome one another. When you come together to eat, welcome one another. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you gather together, you will not come under judgment. I will give instructions about the other matters when I come. So we see that God uses sickness as a form of judgment in order to turn from our sins. And there's that, there's that verse uh, using judged in two different ways. <clears throat> So this helps shed some light on a more controversial passage that, honestly, I'm going to skip. <laughs> uh, I was telling my Sunday school group this morning, I've got a lot in here, and I was trying to pare down, and I can't. And this next passage is going to bring up a controversial topic that I really need to go in depth to explain. I don't need to just throw it out there and just leave it. So I tell you what, I'm going to skip it, but I'm going to give it to you. And if you want to ask me about it, we can talk about it. But I just don't have the time to go into it right now. Um, that is 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. It's also talking about judgment, and it's talking about judgment in the sense of God judging by bringing sickness on people. Um, but, but feel free, it would be interesting conversation to ask me about that later. Um, all right, so let's jump ahead. So the question is, what, what type of judgment are we talking about? Honestly, I need to bring this out because if, if, if you had in mind judgment in the sense of judging and discipline, I need to bring that out so you can understand. I, I don't think that's the way Jesus is talking about when he says don't judge. But it's not that clean cut. It's not clean cut. It's like, is it make a decision or is it to bring, bring negative consequences on someone? When Jesus says don't judge, is he saying don't make a decision about their life? Or is he saying don't, don't, t- don't treat them negatively? Okay, it's, The answer is not that clean cut. It's, it, it, it's right there in the middle. And, 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 this is, and, and we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm going to try to explain why I believe that. All right, so Matthew 7, 1 through 2. He says, do not judge so that you won't be judged. For you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. Okay? So I'm leaning more towards when he's saying do not judge. What he's saying is, uh, well, this is a tough one. Look, I, I can't say it without just giving the rest of the sermon away. So let's walk through it so you don't think it's just my opinion. That's what I'm trying not to do. I don't want you to think this is just my opinion. I want to walk through the scriptures so that you can see this is what the scriptures say. Okay? So, does it mean that you should never judge anyone under any circumstances? Typically, that's the way people take it. It means you never tell someone that what they're doing is wrong. So, if someone ever tells, if that were true, 
If that were true, which I don't believe that's what it means. I don't relegate it to just making a decision about somebody. If that were true, then if somebody were, if I were to make a judgment about somebody and say, what you're doing is wrong. And then they were to say to me, you're not supposed to judge me. Then I would say, you're not supposed to judge me. If that's what it means. Because when you told me not to judge you, you judged me. See, it, it doesn't work. It's not possible. Because you just made a judgment about what I did. And you just said what I did was wrong. You just judged me. You judged what I did as wrong, and I shouldn't have done it. That's what you said. You said, don't judge somebody. What, you should not judge somebody. That's wrong. Don't do that. That's judging. That made a decision about what I did was wrong. So to say that you can't tell someone that what they're doing is wrong if that's what that means, you could never tell someone to not judge anybody because you believe that that is wrong and you, and you would tell them what you're doing is wrong. So it's got to mean more than that because we see Jesus did that. Jesus said, don't judge, and then he judged. And it's not just that one verse. It's over and over and over and over. So it's got to mean more than I can't tell you what you're doing is wrong. That can't be the simple definition because it doesn't match the scripture. So what does it mean? Jesus actually tells us to judge in John chapter 7. John 7, 24. He says, stop judging according to outward appearances, rather judge according to righteous judgment. So here in John chapter 7, uh, yeah, John chapter 7, Jesus actually tells us to judge. But he gives a, a nuance. He said, don't judge by outward appearance, judge by righteous judgment. In other words, Jesus d distinguishes there's unrighteous judgment and there's a righteous judgment. And what is righteous judgment? What does righteous judgment mean? It means to make judgments based on what God has defined as righteous. In other words, if God has said this is sin or not sin, that's how you're supposed to make judgments. You're not supposed to make judgments based on outward appearances and in the context of those who are rich versus those who are poor. You're not supposed to judge the poor harshly and judge the rich uh, gently, I guess is the word I'm looking for. You're not supposed to show favoritism, is, is the context is what he's saying. He's saying don't make unrighteous judgments that has nothing to do with God's righteousness. If you're going to make judgments, make judgments based on God, what God has defined as righteous, what God has said this is sin or this is not sin. That's, that's the only way you can actually do this. And we're, we're actually commanded to do this. Jesus says, judge according to righteous judgment. Make proper judgments. So then we have that, uh, that idea. So Paul gives us more detail when he says to judge those within the church, not outside the church. So here we go again. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, same chapter, verses 9 through 13. He said, I wrote to you in a letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. I did not mean the immoral people of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Otherwise, you would have to leave the world. So Paul said, don't associate with immoral people. And they took that to mean, don't associate with immoral people outside the church. And Paul said, that, that, that's not what I meant. I may have said it, I may have come across wrong, that's not what I meant to say, what I meant. What I meant was, don't associate with immoral people within the church. 
those who have come into the church and said, I repent and I'm turning from sin and I'm following Christ with my life, if they continue to live immoral lives, if they do these things, don't associate with them. He goes on to say, but actually I wrote you not to associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, a Christian, and is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or verbally abusive, a drunkard or a swindler, do not even eat with such a person. For what business is it of mine to judge outsiders? Don't you judge those who are inside? God judges outsiders. Remove the evil person from among you. So here's Paul's instructions to the New Testament church. Don't judge people who aren't Christians. Don't judge how they live because they're not Christians. They haven't made a commitment to turn from sin. Why should you expect them to turn from sin? That's nonsense, Paul says. That's nonsense. If somebody is not a follower of Christ, if they have not decided to repent and turn from sin, you should never expect them to repent and turn from sin. It's this idea that if they're not Christian, don't try to make them act Christian. They're not. That's not the problem. The problem is that they're not Christian. The problem is that they have not made a decision to follow Christ and turn from sin. But inside the church, Paul says... If someone comes into the church with the only way to come into the church, the only way Paul said you could come into church and Peter and, and, and the other apostles was that it was, it was the idea of through baptism, that you made a public profession that you would turn from sin and that you would trust Christ for your salvation. That's how you came into the church. So if you came into the church on the grounds of admitting to everyone, I'm turning from sin, but then you don't turn from sin and you live in a moral life, he said you are to judge those in the church and you're to remove them from the church. You're to remove them. But see, this gives us a problem when we have taken what Jesus said, when Jesus said, do not judge. If we took that to you can't judge somebody and you can't tell them what they're doing is wrong. If we took it that way, then all of these instructions by Jesus saying you should make righteous judgments and Paul saying you should judge those who live immorally and you should remove them from the church, we look at that and say, I can't, I can't do that, I can't do that, I can't do that because Jesus said don't judge. The problem is not that Jesus contradicted Paul. The problem is we've misunderstood what Jesus meant when he said it. I'll give you an example. I've given it before. If I say, I should have I put it up here because I did it in the past, but I, I didn't this time. If, if I put up here and say, there was not a single man at the class reunion. Y'all remember this example? There was not a single man at the class reunion. You can read that and you may read it and say, this is plain and simple. It's obvious. There were all women there, just women. There was not a single man at the class reunion. You could take that one sentence and say, I believe it. I'm convinced you're not going to convince me otherwise. It says it. there wasn't a single man at the class reunion, and I'm telling you there was only women. I'm convinced. Then you could read later where the same person who said that said, well, I was talking to Bill and Barbara at the class reunion about their grandkids. And then you say, this is not right. Bill was not at the class reunion. Because there was not a single man at the class reunion. Bill was not at the class reunion. See, we have conflict. We can do this to ourselves because we misunderstood what was originally said. It wasn't that there wasn't a single man there. It's that all the men there were all married. There were no single men. There was not a single man at the class reunion. 
Bill and Barbara were there and, and, and John and Lindsay were there. I mean, just they were men there, but they were all married. See, we have to study the word until we understand that it doesn't contradict itself. If we misunderstand or something looks like a conflict, we need to keep studying until we figure out how can they both work together. And that's what you have to do with all of Scripture. And so here Paul's saying you must judge those within the church. You are to judge those within the church. And you're to judge them based on how they live. So we go on. 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 8. If any of you has a dispute against another... How dare you take it to court before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or don't you know that the saints will judge the world? That's us. We're the saints. And so Paul is saying, we're going to judge everybody, the whole world. And if the world is judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the trivial cases, meaning right now? He said, if you're going to judge the whole world one day, can't you judge among cases right now, among people right now? Don't you know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? So if you have such matters, do you appoint as your judges those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is not one wise person among you who's able to arbitrate between fellow believers? Instead, brother goes to court against brother and that before unbelievers. So Paul then tells us that God, but then, and I'm about to get to it, Paul goes on to say after this, that God judges those outside the church, but he commands us to judge within the church. And so this brings me to this idea that I can give you a simple doctrine test, okay? This is something I want you to, to, to really apply to your understanding of the Bible. If what you believe on an issue, whether it's do not judge or, or anything, well, I mean, we're talking about judging right now, but just anything, anything you believe about God, about the Bible, about life, anything you believe, if what you believe would cause you, because that's what you believe, if it would cause you to never say what God actually says in the Scriptures, then your doctrine is erroneous and needs to be changed. So in other words, if what I believe about do not judge, if I, mean, if I believe that means I can never tell someone what you're doing is wrong, if that's what I believe, if... That would say that I would get to this verse and say, no, I would never have said that. Mm -mm. I would not have said that. And then you read another verse and say, "Uh uh-uh, I would not have told them that. I would not have written that. If I was sitting here writing, I would not have written that. That's a good test for all of us to say that, you know what? Maybe the Bible's not wrong. Maybe the way I understand it is. Because if I wouldn't have said that, then that means my beliefs that I live out on a day-to-day basis, if that's how I live, that means I'm living contrary to the way the apostles were living. I'm living contrary to the way Jesus lived. I'm living contrary to what God says to do and say. And that should be a big flag. We need to change how we understand it and not just say, and do away with the Bible. So that's a good doctrine test for you. Now, If you did believe, which many of, I would say most of us, I would say, I don't know where anybody stands on this issue right now. I have no idea where y'all stand. But I would bet that most of us have all held that view. Do not judge means you cannot tell someone what they're doing is wrong. That's what most of us at some point have held that view. 
If you believe that, then you would never, never have written the next two verses that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. You would never have written them. And that should be a big red flag to say, maybe I don't quite understand what this means. He goes on explaining to the church that you should judge those inside the church and not those outside the church. He says this, as it is to have legal... Uh Uh-oh, I didn't go far enough. I got two more verses, then we'll get there. As it is to have legal dispute... Did I already read that? No, I, I stopped two verses early. Let me finish that and then get back on track. As it is to have legal disputes against one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Okay, and at this point... The next two verses you would never have written if you believe do not judge means you can never tell somebody that what they're doing is wrong. He goes on immediately to say, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. So Paul goes on to list nine groups of people outside the church. Now, they can be inside the church, but he's specifically saying, don't be deceived. None of these nine groups of people will inherit God's kingdom. That's what he says. These nine groups of people are lost. They are not saved. And so if your idea of do not judge means you cannot tell someone that what they're doing is wrong, or that they will be judged by God for their lifestyle, you would never have said that. You would say, no, I would never say that to somebody. I could never look somebody and say, you are lost because of the way you're living. I could never say that to somebody. Then that's a red flag to say, Paul said it. Paul didn't he, and he just said, don't judge. Paul says, don't judge. Peter says, don't judge. Jesus says, James says, don't judge. But yet they judge. They judge inside and they judge outside because we've taken the word judge to mean you can't tell somebody that what they're doing is wrong. That's not what it means. And they they didn't think that's what it meant. That's why they didn't have any problem with it. So to sum up, I want to say, we can't not read the next verse. He finishes this in the very next verse by saying, and some of you used to be like this, But you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You see, he's saying, we all have been guilty of living in sin. All of us. And many in the church that he was writing to had been guilty of those exact sins that he said. These exact sins, if people are living in this lifestyle, don't be deceived. They're not going to inherit God's kingdom. And if you believe they're going to inherit God's kingdom, you've been deceived is what Paul teaches. He says, some of you that I'm talking to used to live these exact same lifestyles. But they were baptized, forgiven, made right with God, and they were growing in holiness through sanctification by the Holy Spirit of God. He says, but you have repented. You've turned from sin. And now you're living in sanctification. You're growing in your holiness. But you've been justified by God. You've been made right with Him. He has made you right because you turned from sin. And so because God told us 
God told us they were sinful, and our Christian brothers and sisters informed us. Okay, I missed. I, I knew I was something. So in other words, I missed my sentence. Why did we leave those lifestyles behind when we repented? Have you thought about that? We've all been guilty of similar lifestyles, if not the exact same ones. We've all been guilty of living in sin. Why did we leave those lifestyles behind when we repented and turned, and turned from sin in the church? Because people told us those were sinful. We had to turn from those things. Why? Because that's what God said in the, in the Word, but pastors told us, our friends told us, our parents told us, our grandparents told us. They told us what God told us was that this is wrong, it's not okay, and you need to stop doing this. And when we became convicted by the Holy Spirit and decided to turn from sin, we left those behind because someone told us they were sinful lifestyles. But if they are prevented... If, we, if everyone is prevented from telling you that what you're doing is wrong, then how could we have turned from sin? If you as a Christian are prevented from telling someone that what they're doing is sinful and they must turn from it, how can they ever know? How could we have ever known? How could we have made the decision to repent and turn to God? We wouldn't have even known that we were lost. We wouldn't have even known that God was angry with us because of our sin. We wouldn't have known that we were going to go to hell. We wouldn't have known any of those things that led us to the decision that I want to be right with God. I want to spend eternity with God. And so I will, I'm, I will turn from sin to God. But had no one been allowed to tell me that my sins were wrong, I would still be living in them because I wouldn't know. And my whole point is, if we can't tell people, if Jesus is saying you can't tell someone that what they're doing is wrong, in other words, what he's saying is you can't share the gospel. You can't. What are you going to say? Are you going to say that God died for your sins? No, because that would imply that you're sinning. We can't tell you you're sinning. Are you going to say that we have to turn from sin, repent? No, because that would imply that you have sins you have to turn from. If we were not allowed to tell people this is wrong, what you're doing is wrong, we can't share the gospel. And without being able to share the gospel, there's no salvation. Without salvation, there's no life. There's no hope. There's no joy. There's no beauty in the message. Luke 24, verses 46 to 47 says this. I'm going to just hit on these real quick. This idea that apart from salvation, I know you've heard me say it before, but not everybody believes it, and so I'm willing to stand on it, and I'm willing to have the discussion with anybody, but this is not, everybody does not believe what I'm about to say, but it's, I'm convinced by the Scripture, I'm convinced it's utterly true. Apart from repentance, there is no salvation. Apart from repentance, there's no salvation. Do I believe there's two ways to be saved? Absolutely not. I believe there's, you can't be, I don't believe there's two different roads, that some people can be saved by repenting from sin, and some people can be saved by believing and placing their faith in Jesus. I don't believe there's two ways you can be saved this way, or you can be saved this way, just choose which one you like. I don't believe there's two ways. I believe there's one way, and that they're both together, and that without one or the other, it's not real. It's not saving faith, as James describes it. And so I believe apart from faith, there is no salvation. And I believe apart from repentance, there is no salvation. And you can't have one without both. 
And this is why. Why do I believe that? Because I read the scriptures, and that's what the scriptures say. God said, he also said to them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the, day, from the dead the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. If you believe, this is that, you know that test I gave you, that doctrine test, that if I believe it, I would never have said this. That's a red flag that maybe what I believe is not exactly right, and I need to, need to work on that. If you believe that repentance has no part in salvation, like Repentance doesn't matter. They can repent. They don't repent. It doesn't matter. It has no part in salvation. Then you, in your conversations, when you talk to people, you will never tell them that repentance for forgiveness of sins. Those words will never come out of your mouth. Ever. You will never say that repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed. You will never proclaim repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so when you believe something and then you come across scripture that says, I would never have said that. That should let you know maybe you don't have the whole picture. Maybe we need to keep working on the whole picture. Peter replied when they was asked, Peter, when asked Peter, how, what must we do? In other words, how can we be saved? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Peter, the very first message he preaches at Pentecost, they asked, how can we be saved? And he says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you believe repentance has nothing to do with forgiveness, you would never have said that. When you would have been asked, what must we do to be saved? You wouldn't have said repent and be baptized. You would have said something else. And so that's why I'm saying, it's not two different ways, it's one way tied together. And if you can't tell people to repent of their sins, you can't share the gospel. And that's kind of what I'm trying to boil this down to. To say do not judge means you can't tell them that what they're doing is wrong, that that what they're doing is sin, means you can't share the gospel. You can't tell them to repent, to be saved. So real quick, I'll just run through these and then get to the last one. I'll probably skip some stuff. Acts 3.19, therefore repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. The biblical authors, including God who inspired the word, had no problem with the idea that repentance is tied to salvation. He also had no idea that faith is tied to salvation. He saw no conflict. He used them both. Some verses just say repent. Some verses just say believe. And some verses have both repent and believe. God saw no conflict there, and we should not either. So there is no salvation apart from repentance. And Jesus said, unless you repent, you will perish. Jesus said this. Luke 13, 3. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as well. So Jesus said, apart from repentance, you will not be saved. Unless you repent, you're going to perish. He said it again two verses later in verse 5. He said, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as well. He said the exact same words two verses later. He reiterated it to say, this is fact. So to say that do not judge means you can't tell someone that they're sinning and must stop means you can't tell them to re- they must repent and therefore you cannot share the gospel with them. So here's how P- Apostle Paul describes his understanding of Jesus' command for him to go and share the gospel with everyone for their salvation. Paul saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. He shined a bright light. I don't know if I included all that. But he said... He, he, he saw a bright light from heaven. It was Jesus from heaven who had blinded Paul. And, he, and Paul said, I asked, who are you, Lord? 
And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and to share among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. So Jesus, just to sum it up, Jesus appeared to Paul. He said, I'm going to send you out as a missionary and as a witness to me to share the message, to bring people from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God, to save people. I'm sending you out as a missionary to save people. So Paul said to King Agrippa, he said, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Instead, this is what he did. I preached to those in Damascus first and those in Jerusalem and in all the region of Judea and to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works worthy of repentance. Here he is speaking to King Agrippa, sharing the gospel with King Agrippa. And he felt there was no conflict in saying, Jesus told me to go and share the gospel. I did. I went and shared the gospel everywhere and I'm sharing it with you to turn from sin and to repent and to do works worthy of repentance. That was the gospel in that moment. In that moment, that was how Paul shared the gospel with King Agrippa. To turn from sin, King. To turn from sin. And the idea is to turn from sin, where are you turning to? To God, through Jesus. There's no difference. You can't, it's not turn from sin to Buddha. It's turn from sin to Jesus. So there was, no dis, there was no disconnect between repentance and faith in Jesus. It was faith in Jesus, trust in him, and turning from sin. There was no conflict. So Paul said, I did. I preached to everyone. Now this is the same Paul, the exact same Paul, who told us that we're saved by grace through faith and not by works. And Paul saw no contradiction there. Paul saw no contradiction between the fact that we're saved by grace and not through works and that we must repent to be saved. He saw no conflict. Paul and James make this very clear. So let's look at how James understands it real quick. He's the last one we're going to look at. First thing he tells us in his letter is to speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. So in other words, it's important, he says, speak and act. It's really important to in order to understand what it means to judge someone. He goes on later, he says to speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. He goes on to say, but he gives greater grace Therefore, he says, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters, Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, do you see, James, I know I went through quick because we're running out of time, but do you see what James said here? He's saying, cleanse your hands, you sinners. That's what, that's li I mean, he literally said, stop all your sinning. Stop sinning. And don't criticize your brother and sister. Who are you to judge anybody? That's literally what James said in a matter of like three sentences. He said, stop sinning. But don't criticize about your brothers and sisters. Who are you to judge them? 
And so most of us who think that judge means don't tell someone that they're, what they're doing is wrong according to God would say, that's nonsense. You know, how could you do that? That's hypocritical. But it's not. God inspired these words. Let's go on. We're going to see clearly. He's, he talked about how God gives grace to the humble. Remember that? He said God gives grace to the humble but resists the proud. <clears throat> he tells us to humble ourselves. Don't criticize our brothers and sisters in Christ. And he tells us not to judge our neighbors. But then in the very next words that come out of his mouth, he goes on to judge rich people who live luxuriously and withheld pay from their workers. He says, come now, you rich people, weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and the corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have stored up treasure in the last days. Look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who mowed your fields cries out and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of army. armies. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous who does not resist you. So how is it that James says not to judge, but then judges people for how they live? Because if you believe do not judge means do not make judgments about how people live, then you're going to have a very, very hard time with the scriptures. Because you will love and affirm all the verses that say don't judge and all the verses that say show mercy, but then you're going to struggle with all the verses that actually make judgments about how people live and you're going to disobey all the verses that tell you to make judgments about how people live. See, do not judge is not about whether you believe something, someone is sinning. It's about whether you treat them as a sinner. Did you get that? It's not about whether you believe that what they're doing is sinful. It's about how you treat them. Jesus told tax collectors and sinners that they were sinning. And they invited him into their home and they repented. They repented. Jesus told people point blank, what you're doing is wrong and you got to stop. But he did it from a heart of love and compassion for them because he desired to see them saved. He was not judgmental towards them. But he did not, he was not afraid to tell them what they did was wrong because it's the only way that they can turn from sin and be saved. Yet he condemns the hypocrites, remember, the Pharisees, the scribes, he condemns them because they're telling people what they're doing is wrong and they're doing far worse themselves. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Before you tell your brother that what they're doing is wrong, look at yourself first. Humble yourself, James says. James says, humble yourself because God shows mercy to the humble and he resists the proud. Remember the, the, the Pharisee that stood up and said, God, I thank you that I'm not a sinner like this tax collector over here? That was proud. That was judgmental. He didn't care about that man's sins. And he didn't care about his own sins. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I've given you a message that I need you to take to the world. A message that they are sinful. That they are living in sin. And it's their sin that has separated them from God. And that they have to turn from sin to be reconciled to God. I'm giving you that message that I need you to take to people. But when you do it, don't be judgmental about it. Recognize that it was you who were sinful first. 
That you received grace and mercy from God. That you have been just as sinful as anybody you come across. Humble yourself first. Have compassion, have mercy. Because those who show no mercy will get no mercy. It's not about saying something. It's about how you say it. And that's how Jesus can say don't judge and then make a judgment about people's sin. And that's how Paul can say don't judge and then go on to judge people's sin. And James can say don't judge and then warn people and judge because of their sin. Jesus said you should judge according to righteous judgment. You should decide if something's sinful or not sinful. But when you take that message to them, be sure you've Looked at yourself first. Make sure you've humbled yourself first and recognize that you are sinful and are saved by the grace of God, not your ability to, to be less sinful. And you should never become arrogant and proudful. <clears throat> so have you, you need to ask yourself, are you humbling yourself and recognizing your own sinfulness first? Have you genuinely repented of sin? And are you walking with the Spirit? Or are you living hypocritically? Are you full of grace and mercy towards others? Or are you hard-hearted and unforgiving to others? Because you can tell someone that they need to turn from their sins from a heart of stone. Or you can tell someone that they need to turn from their sins from a heart of flesh. You can do both. James continues, after judging the selfish rich people who gained their wealth by withholding it from their workers, you remember that. He said, you withheld your pay from your workers and they're crying out to God and you've become rich and selfish. He says, after he's told them and judged them, he says, remember that you're going to be judged by the real judge himself. He wants us to be compassionate and merciful to others because he is compassionate and merciful to us. He goes on to say, Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Don't complain about your brothers and sisters. Don't be argumentative. Don't be, you know, show them mercy. Show them grace. It doesn't mean you can't tell them to turn from sin because the scripture says anyone who turns their brother from sin saves them. We must turn our brothers and sisters from sin. But don't, don't be judgmental. Don't be, don't be ah, look at you. I'm better than you. <clears throat> He was telling us to treat others the same way that we want to be treated. That we should be gracious and merciful to others, not harsh and judgmental. Jesus told others that they must turn from their sinful lifestyles, but he did it in a loving and merciful way, and many responded positively and did turn from their sins. Read the last two. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured you have heard of Job's endurance and you have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. God is compassionate and merciful and he desires us to be the same. So I'm going to finish by reading the parallel passage in Luke. The same thing I read in Matthew, but we're going to look at the parallel passage in Luke. But look at it with this understanding that when he says don't judge, he's meaning don't, 
Don't, ju- don't be judgmental. Don't be hard-hearted. Be merciful. Be compassionate to others. He says in Luke, do not judge and you won't be judged. Do not condemn and you'll not be condemned. In other words, how you treat others is how you should expect to be treated in return. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. It's all about how you treat others. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If, if you judge others harshly, you're going to be judged harshly. If you're not merciful to others, then nobody's going to be merciful to you. But if you're compassionate to others, then you'll receive compassion in return. <clears throat> he also told them a parable. Can the blind guide the blind? Won't they both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the splinter that is in your eye when you yourself don't see the beam of wood in your eye? Hypocrite. First, take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the splinter in your brother's eye. So in other words, retrospect, humble yourself, look at your own sins first, and then you will be able, as Jesus commands us to do, to look at our brothers and sisters and help them turn from sin by telling them that what they're doing is sinful. And we can look at those outside the church and warn them that what they're doing is sinful and that they must repent and turn to God for salvation. And if we do that from a heart knowing that I was just as guilty and I have been shown grace and mercy and I'm doing it from a heart of love, that's how the gospel moves forward. But to relegate and say, no, I can't tell you that what you're doing is sinful means in the church you can't turn your brother and sister back from their sin and it means you can't have a conversation with someone outside the church and tell them that they must turn from sin to be saved. And it makes all the rest of the Bible meaningless. I hope that was clear. I know I talked and talked and talked and talked and talked, but, but I hope, I hope I... You're able to see that. I hope I was able to get the point across. It's not that you it's not that you can't tell them what they're doing is sinful because God has told us that. We just have to go by this. It's not that I don't like it, it's that God don't like it. Okay? But it's how we tell them. It's how we how we do it. And when it's don't complain about your brothers and sisters in the church, that means about stuff that's not sinful about stuff that doesn't mean anything. Don't bicker, don't fight, don't have arguments about stuff that's not, mean, not a big deal. God has told us what's a big deal. Does that make sense? Okay. Well, I love y'all. And I hope you understand that Jesus, you have to be able to make judgments, but you have to do it in a loving and non-judgmental way. So, let's pray together. Father, we're first of all thankful that you have judged our sin. Father, we're thankful that you told us that we were living in sin. You told us that our lifestyles are sinful. You told us that it was our sin that separated us from you. You told us that we were in danger of going to hell without forgiveness from you. We're thankful you told us that. Otherwise, 
we would not know. We would be living this life for ourselves. We would be living sinful and not caring about our relationship with you. And we would not be eternally saved. We would not be forgiven if you had not told us. And so, Father, we thank you for telling us. Father, we also thank you for the the great, humongous privilege of being able to share that saving message with others. And we understand that to do that, we must tell others the same message you told us, that it is their sin that has separated them from you, and that it is your, your decision to come to this earth and die for that sin that enables them to be forgiven, and that you have called us to repent and believe, to turn from sin, and to trust you for our salvation and you alone. And Father, we thank you for that, that, that gift of salvation that we could not do enough to earn it. We could not do more right than wrong. We could never make up for the wrong that we've done. But you don't ask us to. You ask us just to commit our lives to you and to trust you alone for our salvation. And we do that, Father. And we thank you for that. Father, I pray if there's a single person who has not made that commitment because they did not believe that repentance had anything to do with salvation, that they would recognize through your word that, that it is. It's crucial. It's a critical point that we must trust you and turn from sin because to turn from sin without trusting you is to just try to live a good moral life but not to accept your sacrifice for our sins. It's to reject you. And also to trust in you and not to turn from sin is to say that, yeah, I want to be forgiven, I want what you have to offer, but I refuse to live my life for you. I refuse to, to, to join with you in, in a relationship. And so, Father, both are to reject you. And, Father, I pray that we see clearly that your Scripture is one message, one way of salvation, that we are to recognize what you've done for us, that you came and paid the price we could not pay, that you suffered and died so that we could be forgiven to have a perfect sacrifice on our behalf, and that we are given the choice, knowing that truth, we are given the choice to either accept you, to surrender ourselves to you in a loving relationship with you as, as your children and you as our Father, or to reject you and say, I don't want any part of it. And so, Father, I pray that someone today will make that decision to follow you. And, Father, I pray that we will lead people into that decision to turn from their sin and follow you from now until the day that you call us home. We love you, Father. We can never thank you for how good you are. And Father, we pray that you help us to lovingly, lovingly, non-judgmentally have conversations with those in our lives to help them see that they must repent and believe in your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for giving us these opportunities. Give us the strength and wisdom to carry them out the way you would. In Jesus' holy and precious and eternal name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> if you would, please stand and join us for our last song. <clears throat> All right. Well, I do want to apologize. I'm sorry it took me so long to get that out. Uh, next time I preach on this topic, hopefully since I worked through it so long this week, hopefully it'll be much more succinct uh, next time. But let's just be non-judgmental people. How about that? 
Let's go and show the same grace to others that we receive from God for our sins. Let's show love and compassion to everyone regardless of their lifestyle. Let's not be afraid to tell them that they must turn from sin to be forgiven and to, and to give their life to Christ. Let's not be afraid to tell them that, but let's make sure that when we tell them that, it comes from a heart of love, a, a humble heart, a heart of compassion, the same heart that Jesus had when he told sinners that they must turn from sin. Let's do it the same way that he did, and let's pray that he will give us the same results that he had. Because we don't want to run people away. We don't want to push people down. We don't want to criticize people. We want to love them. And we want to see them forever, in eternity, on the new earth, with us, sitting at the same table, eating that wonderful marriage feast of the Lamb that I am so looking forward to, that I hope has Lamb, but we'll find out when we get there. I look forward to heaven with all of you. But I want to fill that place up. And I know that's God's heart. I know that's his heart. And he showed us how to do it. Let's do it the best we can. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And Father, we thank you. Help us live our lives as a, as a, as a wonderful and perfect reflection of your son. You showed us how to live this life by coming to earth and actually doing it. So Father, help us to follow in your footsteps. We love you, Father. In Jesus' holy and precious and eternal name we pray. Amen.